We're going to cover today the Sicha that the Rebbe said in the year of 1977, maybe it was still 76, in 1976, a Parsha of Chayisara, and it's published in the fourth, the fourth Sicha of Chayisara in volume 15. This volume 15 has five published talks on each Parsha. So this is the fourth of the five. And he, quote, he talks here about a verse that is the beginning of the sixth aliyah of today's Parsha. And that is the verse that says like this. After, let me just bring you up to date in the historical events that took place. In last week's Parsha, Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old and his wife was 90 years old by the birth. In this week's Parsha, it comes in continuation to the Akedah where Abraham brought Isaac onto the altar. Somebody came to tell Sarah the news and said, did you hear what happened? Your, your husband brought your son on the altar to slaughter him. And before the guy got to finish to say the story, she dies, she couldn't catch her breath and Sarah dies. That's what the commentators say of how, how that happened. She was 127 years old at the time of her passing. After... His wife passed away. Yitzchak is three years later, 40 years old. He needs a shidduch. The parsha goes through a lengthy discussion about his shidduch. After the shidduch and the Yitzchak gets married, right away comes time for Abraham to get married again. And that's the beginning of the sixth aliyah. And the verse says like this, Vayosef Avraham. And Avraham added, Vayikach Isha, and he took a wife, he was only 37 years later after the birth of Yitzchak, let's say 40 years later, at least 40 years later, around 40 years later. So he's somewhere a little over 140 years old. You get a little lonely then, it's time to get remarried. So Vayikach, Avram, Avram adds, adds to this and he takes a wife, Vayikach Isha, Ushma, and what is this wife's name? Kitura. The Torah tells us his wife's name. You have to know Abraham's wife's name. You know, he's a major figure here. So what's this wife's name, Kitura? Says Rashi, who is this Kitura? Who's this Kitura woman? Says Rashi, Zu Hagar. Actually, Kitura is Hagar. It's the same person. Well, that begs the explanation. You're saying her name is Kitura. Rashi tells you, who's Keturah Hagar? You remember Hagar? Hagar was the concubine of Sarah, who Sarah gives Hagar to Avram to have a child because Sarah was barren at that time. And he has Yishmael through Hagar. So now, after Sarah's passing and Yitzchak is married, Avram takes a new wife. And who's this new wife? He said, it's not a new wife, like it never had a wife. He takes back the woman and remarries her hugger. Why is she called Keturah if her real name was Hugger? So Rashi explains to us and says two reasons. She's called Keturah because Keturah means incense. It's a very good smelling aura. So Shanoim Ma'aseha her actions were very pleasant. They were beautiful. They smelled good. Like a Kitoris. 
just like the incense smells good, so we're calling her with the name Keturah. She has a great odor. What does that mean? Because the meaning, she doesn't worship idols like many other people were doing in her days. So she smelled good. She was on the right path. And that's why we're calling her with this name, Kitaris. Then Rashi continues another reason. And another reason is that she tied. The word Kitaris also can mean like a tying. And she tied her openings that no other man should be intimate with her. From the day she separated from Avraham, which we're soon going to remind ourselves the story that Sarah didn't want Hagar in the house with Ishmael. And after God, consulting with God, and God says, listen to Sarah, Abraham sends away Hagar with Ishmael. So even though she left Abraham, she never got intimate with any man all these years. She stayed pure in that way. And now Avram is taking her, kind of taking her back. And he, who is he taking back? Keturah. Why are we calling her Keturah? Because she tied herself. She tied her openings close to herself that she shouldn't become intimate with any other man. So Rashi, in essence, is telling us two reasons why this woman's name is now called Keturah. According to Rashi, he says that that is the answer of why her name is Keturah. Number one, because it's in the word Keturah from incense that smell good. So her actions were smelling good. She didn't worship any idols. Number two, is because from the word tying, that she tied her openings to be closed, that she closed herself off from any other man all this time. So she never was intimate with another man. So Avram takes her back. That's the simple understanding of the Rashi explaining this verse. Now the Rebbe comes and he asks three questions. Number one, Rashi's commentary is always, as Rashi told us many times, Rashi said, I come to help you understand the literal understanding text of the Torah. So he says, what's Rashi's proof in the literal text of the story that Keturah was really Hagar? I mean, if you stay with the text, it says, and Avram added and took a wife named Keturah. To say that it means Hagar, you have to really go deep. That doesn't seem to be the simple way of understanding Torah. Especially, the word says, Vayosef Avram, and Avram added. When you say added, it means he didn't, took an additional wife. In other words, besides the wives that he once had, Hagar, and his wife Sarah, now he took an additional wife. That's what it means, Vayosef. Vayosef means an additional. So for Rashi to come and say, that this additional doesn't really mean literally additional. He's taking it out of the context of literal, but Rashi is always all about literal. As a matter of fact, there are a number of commentaries, commentators, 
a number of commentators that actually say that not like Rashi, that Keturah means also Hagar. They say Keturah means another woman named Keturah. He brings down in the footnotes that the Tanchuma, Tanchuma Bavar, the Yalkut Shimoni, the Ebenezer, the Radak, the Abarbanel, the Rashbam, the Chizkuni, a whole list of commentators that actually say that the additional woman was a new woman. It wasn't the same. That's why it says an addition. So why does Rashi, where does Rashi get this according to the simple understanding of the text that it's actually the same hugger person? That's question number one. Number two, Rashi says one explanation is because her actions were smell, had a good smell. Another is about that she closed up, she tied up her openings. Rashi doesn't say commentary one is this and another commentary is another thing. He just says and which is unusual by Rashi when he says two explanations. That means what Rashi is saying here is not that there are two separate explanations. He's saying is that the reason why the name, she was named Keturah, even though Keturah is Hagar, because there's two reasons to the same explanation. Point is that it's not totally two different answers. It's kind of just two reasons in the same answer. So the Rebbe says, let's understand where does Rashi get this idea in the literal understanding of the Torah that we called her Keturah because of two reasons. Actually, it's interesting. The Rashi gets his two explanations from a Medrash. From the Medrash. Now the Medrash actually says explanation one and then it says there happens to be another explanation. But Rashi doesn't say another explanation. He just says and the second reason. So why does Rashi kind of put the two together when everybody else, the source where he gets it from, makes it into two separate reasons why this woman named Keturah is called Keturah if she's really the same person of Hagar. We could have just called her Hagar. Number three, and this is probably the most powerful question. In last week's Parsha, when Abraham sent away Hagar and Yishmael. Over there it says two words. It says, Vatelech, and they went. Vatesa, and they got farblunget. It means they got lost. They kind of, they, won, they, they, they went wandering. Right? And then they got lost. They got wandering. They didn't have any water. She started crying. She put the Yishmael under the tree. Well, on those words, that they went and they wandered away, Rashi over there last week said, that what does this mean that they wandered away? Ah, he says they wandered away, not just in the geographical sense that they got lost. It means she wandered back to her old bad habits of going to idol worship. She went back to her father's way of serving idols. That's what it means. Abraham kicks her out of the house upon Sarah's request. And where does she go? Back to idol worship. That seems like a big contradiction to hear. We're saying, why did Abraham remarry this woman? And why are we calling her Keturah? Because she smelled good. She was under such a good, well-behaved. She only served God. She didn't worship the idols. That's why she had a good smell, like the incense. That's why we call her Keturah. Keturah. One second. Is she back to the idol worship path? Or is she 
not worshipping idols. Which one is it? You said, Rashi, last week that after Avram kicked her away, she went to worship idols. Now you're saying that Avram takes her back because she's not worshipping idols, because she smells good, she has a great spiritual aroma. So these are his three questions. Now, to explain this, he says like this, Rashi had to interpret that Keturah this woman named Keturah really is the same hugger. Why did he have to, why was he forced to say, Rashi felt compelled, he must tell us that Keturah is hugger. Why was he so compelled to say that? Because he said, there's a question that you may have on the entire story here, of what's going on over here. What's the general question that one may ask? You may say like this, we know that Abraham was very busy converting men and Sarah was very busy converting women. That's what it says. Abraham made a lot of converts, male converts. He went out, he had a good dialogue with men. Sarah was good with the woman and she convinced people and got them to convert. What did that mean those days? Obviously it meant to give up idol worship and believe in one God. Now, that means that Abraham had an unbelievable success rate in convincing people to believe in one God and give up the idols. He was very influential. Wouldn't you think that he would have been successful to convince his own household people to give up idols? Even Yishmael, by the way, fascinating story here, details. Yishmael, who was knowing, the verse says, that he went out and to do bad things. Even he ended up repenting and going on to the right path while Abraham was still alive. And the Rebbe brings several proofs to this for throughout the Torah that Yishmael repented from his bad ways while Abraham was alive. I'll just quote you two of them that he brings down in the footnotes. One is, in the story of the Akedah, when Abraham brings Isaac onto the altar, it says he was accompanied by Shnei Na'arav, by two young lads. Rashi said, who were these two young lads that accompanied Abraham and Isaac to the altar? It was Yishmael and Eliezer, his servant in today's parsha. Well, if Yishmael accompanied him there, that means he's been back on the scene. Even though Abraham chased him and his mother out of the house, if, if Yishmael appeared to the scene to be with his father by the altar for Yitzchak, that means he'd already come back from his bad ways. That's one proof. Another proof is that Yishmael repented before Abraham died. It says that when, when, Avraham, when Avraham died and they were by the burial of Avraham, so it says that who buried Avram? It says his two children, Yitzchak and Yishmael. And the commentators point out, Yishmael was older than Yitzchak by 13 years. The verse should have said, who helped bury their Abraham? It should have said Yishmael, the older brother, and then Yitzchak. But the verse says Yitzchak and Yishmael. So we learn from here, and Rashi quotes this. He says 
that Yishmael repented while Abraham was still alive. And that's why he gave precedence to his brother Yitzchak, realizing that Yitzchak was greater. The fact that he was able to be refined to do that is a sign of repentance. So clearly, let's go back to the, to the, to the, to the issue of hand, is that Abraham was very influential on his own household people too. Even Yishmael did, does tshuva. So then you could ask a question, how is it possible that Hagar went back to the idol worship of her father's house? Did Avram not influence Hagar? Now, you can't say that Hagar was somewhere very far and he didn't have a you know, text message to convince her to come back from idol worship because she was somewhere distant and he couldn't influence her. You can't say that because we know that if Yishmael did tshuva and came back into the scene, Hagar must have came back also. You know why? Because Hagar and Yishmael always hung out together. He brings out in a footnote from a verse that says, in Parsha Vayera it says, that Hagar took Yishmael with her to find him a wife, a Canaanite girl. But the fact that the mother took him with her shows that she always had him next to her. So you can't just say so easily that, oh, Hagar was somewhere far and Abraham couldn't influence Hagar. Because if Yishmael came back, Hagar also must have come back. So since we all may ask this big thundering question, how come Avram, where do we see at least, that Avram influenced Hagar to repent? And you just said that Hagar went, after he kicked her away, she went back to idol worship. That's why Rashi comes here to tell you to straighten out our mind. You may think that Avram didn't influence her, but that doesn't make sense. How could it be that Avram wouldn't be successful in his own family? That's why Rashi says, you know who this Keturah is? Zu Hagar. You are right. When we call her, when we call, through calling, through calling Hagar with the name Keturah, we're telling you and we're hinting to you that now her actions are beautiful and they smell good. Their actions are amazing. She repented from that temporary going off the track when she got kicked out of the house and she went to her father's idols. But now this is the person, and that's why we have to know this name, Keturah. So Rashi feels compelled that on the literal level, you must say that Keturah is the same person of Hagar, because otherwise you, cannot, you won't be able to sleep by night. How is it possible that Avram didn't affect his family? So therefore, you must say that it's the same person. Now, as a little side note, but actually it makes the whole thing even more sweet and beautiful, the Rebbe points out that in, if you get particular in uses of words, Rashi says, Keturah Zay, or Zu Hagar. When you say Zu, it means very, it's very literal at this, like I could see it. There's another way how to say this, you could say He Hagar. Like we have elsewhere in the Torah, it says, He Hebron. He in Hebrew, Hayyur Aleph. He also means this. But when the difference is if you say he or zai, he is a little more concealed. You could say this, but you don't necessarily see it right in front of you. You know, like you're traveling on the road and you say, ah, this is, or that's the building, you know? But it's a little bit obscured, you know, from the scene. When you say zoo, it means I literally, I see it in front of my eyes. So when Rashi says zoo, he's trying to tell you that Look at this five-year-old kid 
uh, which is the age where you start teaching Chumash to. The five-year-old kid is walking around going crazy. He's nonstop. He's saying, where is Hagar? Where is Hagar? What happened to Hagar? A five-year-old kid that learned the story that Sarah asked Avram to kick her out of the house, bad influence in the house. She's getting into fights with her and, and Yishmael is getting into fights with Yitzchak and Avram finally kicks, kicks her out. The five-year-old kid is still very curious. Where did that lady go? This lady had a baby with Abraham, <laughs> the father of all the Jews. Where is Hagar? So we don't see anywhere an answer to tell this kid. He wants to know why did she not repent? What's going on over here? That's where Rashi says, uses the word when he says this, he uses the word this with zoo. Because in Hebrew it means this, like literally this is the lady. Don't think she went off and you can't see it subscructs a, a vision of this lady that you don't know if she did shuva or not repented, did repent, is she still with idols? No, no, no. This is the lady. She's a pure, beautiful, smelling, spiritual woman. And to the point that we're even going to change her nickname now, we're going to call her the incense lady who just smells gorgeous. The one who has a beautiful complexion of serving only one God. So this is the answer why Rashi, that question, why Rashi emphasizes and says, Keturah Zuhagar, he says, I don't have a choice. I got to tell you this because this is the literal story. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck with this information. Did Avram influence you? Of course he influenced Hagar to the point that he remarries her because she's like a Keturah. Now, Rashi is not satisfied just with this explanation why her name is Keturah. Just because her aura is like the incense. Hence the word Ketoros. Why? Because the fact is, we already established that there was a period of time after she left Abraham that she did go back to her father's way of idol. And we already learned that Abraham was an unbelievable modest person. Like par excellence. You remember on the story we had when Abraham was traveling with Sarah and they came to, 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 the, to the border and he said, he looked at Sarah and he's like, whoa, you're gorgeous. That's what he says. You're just so beautiful. They're going to take you away and violate you. Don't tell them I'm your husband. They'll kill me and they'll take you. You know, over there it says, what, what happened? It says all of a sudden now he got to see that his wife was beautiful. Where You were married for a long time. What happened all of a sudden? So it says... Him and his wife, they were so modest. They never paid attention about their externals' beauties. That's the way they were. Avram was so modest. She was so modest. Now they're traveling. It's a different trip experience, you know, on a vacation trip, you know. So over here, we have to, Rashi says, I, I'm not satisfied with this answer for a man like Avram. He's going to marry her. The lady who went back to her father's idol after he sent her away. Don't forget, there is a complicated halacha regarding a woman after you get divorced. If you go and have a relationship with another man, you're not allowed to get remarried back to your original husband. So Avram wouldn't even be able to take her back. That's why Rashi tells you over here. And don't forget, by the way, this story here where Abraham takes his new wife, it's coming right after the story that Yitzchak gets married to Rivka, and Rivka comes into the house, and he's amazed of the tent 
that, that Rivka has the same values in the tent like Yitzchak's mother Sarah had. So we're talking about a very spiritual setting here of very modest people. So Rashi adds the second meaning, the second reason why she's called with this name Keturah, because it's essential to understand <coughs> that you can't say only one reason that she smells good, meaning because she doesn't worship idols. She also went back to idol worship. So what's going on over here? So we must bring in the second reason why her name is Keturah from the work tying herself up, that she tied up her openings not to be intimate with any other person. From the day she left Abraham, she never had relations with anybody. You have to understand that second reason because otherwise... It's difficult because she went back to idol worship. From idol worship, you could repent. But if she would have gone to another man, it would be a much more complicated story. That's why we need both reasons. Now, based on this, we could understand why Keturah is, is hinted with the name of Hagar regarding doing repentance. Based on this idea, we're now going to be able to explain a few deeper concepts, deeper meaning like according to Chassidus, some more, uh, like a more internal view. There are three difficulties that need to be explained. Number one, in in other words, according to the insight of what we spoke here now, that the name Keturah reflects the deeper meaning that she repented from going back to her father's ways, now she smells good, and the idea that she never came to another man. But now, so now based on this idea, we have we need three clarification of three ideas. Number one, since Keturah is Hagar, why does the verse start off saying that Abraham added another wife? Added, he took an additional wife. Why do we call it an addition? If it's the same person, why does the verse say that Abraham took an addition? It should have just started off saying that he took Hagar or Keturah. Why do you say the word an additional? It's not an additional. In other words, according to the simple understanding of the verse, Keturah is called Hagar. <clears throat> Even though Keturah is called Hagar, since Avraham, since Avraham remarried her, took her again, so we call it, he took, he added, meaning he took her again, like a second time. But here is very interesting. The way, the way Abraham took her now again, even though it says he took her as a wife, I want to point out, though the Rebbe points out over here, a few fascinating details here, that I want to bring it to, to the front here, to appreciate Three different titles in the marriage that Avram has with Hagar. In the first time when Sarah gave Hagar to Avram to have a child, she says, take my shifcha, my concubine, or translated as my bondwoman, okay, or my handmaid. There's no laws of marriage if you take your handmaid to have a child. You were allowed to do it. She was like the assistant woman for Sarah. Sarah says she's mine, so I'm giving you, you could, you could, you could have her to have a baby with her. Now, 
If you don't want to have her in the house anymore, you could do what Avram did. Garash es Amahazos. He chased her away. You don't need to have any divorce. You were never married, so you don't need a divorce. Now, here it says that he took Keturah. By the way, since, of course, these days you're not allowed to do it that way, but this was permitted then. So the second way is in what we say here. Abraham took an addition and he took for a wife Keturah. We use here the, wife, the word wife. Now you would think that he became a 100% equal wife with Hug, uh, to Hugger, became his equal 100% wife. You would think that's 100%. Just like you would maybe think that it's a hundred percent, just like Sarah was his wife. Well, six verses further, after listing off the six children that he has now with Hagar, the six more children after Ishmael, the six new ones now when he's in his hundreds and forties and probably fifty already. So it says Abraham wanted to give them something to his kids, you know, before he's going to die. You know, you don't know how long you're going to live when you're 150, you know. So he wants to give something to his kids. So it says he gave to the children of his Pelegish. Oh, he didn't say the children of his wife. It says the children of his Pelegish. This is, this Pelegish is a different kind of concubine. Pelegish means a free woman. Now, according to the Talmud, it says the only difference between a person who's your wife or the person who's your pilegesh, they're both really like a wife. But there's only one difference. The difference is, with the real wife, you have to actually have a ketubah in the, in the marriage. With the pilegesh, you don't have a ketubah. That's the difference. So, it's not so simple to send her away. She's a much higher status of wife, but she's not the same level 100% as wife. And in volume five, which we're not going to go into the full discourse there, but there the Rebbe analyzes why is Hagar now not a full wife, only why we're using the word that he gives, Abraham gives them material values, so to speak, like an inheritance, but he doesn't use the word Isha wife. He uses the word that sons of my Pelegesh, it's precise. Because over there he says, the Rebbe, fascinating thing, he says that Abraham wanted there should be a distinction of who's his true heir of inheritance. Only Isaac is his true full heir. Because these kids are only the sons of the Pelegesh, not from Isha. And the difference is, to the Pelegesh, he gave, what did he give them? He gave them money, only the money that he got from Pharaoh and Avimelech, those people that tried to violate his wife, and they gave him lots of wealth, another wealth that he accumulated on his own. But anything that was gifted to him from God, that, he said, is for my true here. The material stuff that I got in the middle of my life, no problem, you kids could have them. I want you to live well also. But his ultimate spiritual, godly given gifts of inheritance, that goes only to the child from his full wife, Sarah. So even though he uses here first the word Isha, but then it clears it up. What kind of Isha? These are the kids of the Pelegish. So now, based on the simple meaning of the verse, it said, we don't really have the question why Keturah is hugger. Because it says that he took her again. But what does it mean the word, in according to deeper meaning, according to Hasidus, what does it mean that he took an additional wife? 
In other words, a deeper layer. Let's understand the deeper layer of that. Number two, another question is, what's the deeper layer that when you want to compare Keturah or Hagar, you want to compare her actions that they smell good. What are you saying? They're, they smell good like the Keturahs, like the incense. Why, why specifically to this? Is there no other good fragrance out there, only the incense? There must be something deeper in this when you compare her to the Keturahs in the temple. The incense in the temple. There must be something more deeper to that. That's number two. Number three, why do we teach us this whole lesson that Hagar repented specifically by this verse in this story where Abraham now takes her as a wife now? Why here? What's the connection specifically to this point when he remarries Hagar that now we're going to teach you a lesson that you repented to the point that we're calling her with a new name. Her name is Keturah. There must be something deeper to the story right here, this piece of the story of the Torah that you're telling me that she repented. So what's the deeper meaning? So he says like this, Hasidus teaches us the insight. There's a major difference between the way Avraham served God before he was circumcised and after he was circumcised. Now again, everything that you learn, you got to back it up with verses. If you can back it up with letters and words in the Torah, you're on strong ground. So Hasidus says like this, before he was circumcised and after he was circumcised, we see one major change. His name was changed. Before he was circumcised, he was Av-Ram. After he was circumcised, he's Av-Raham. What's the difference? Okay, let's analyze this. Av-Ram. Mean, Av means father. Ram means elevated. Like detached. You're so high up. So before the bris, he was called the father that's like so detached. He's so elevated. He's so up there. And he's just way up there. Whoa. As the verse says, you're like above all the nations of the world. You're like, you're special. You're so different. That's because before he was circumcised, his whole service of serving God was everything was only in the realm of being spiritual. But after he was circumcised, we change his name. Now he's Avraham. What does it mean, Avraham? The verse said in Parshas Lech Lecha, Abraham is because now he's the Av Hamon Goyim. That's what it means by adding that hey. He's now the father of all the nations. He's now no more able to be just the man that's spiritual, detached from society. He's on a godly, you know, spiritual road. Now you're the father of all the nations. You're connected to the nations now. Now, this idea to be able to be connected to the nations is let's bring it into Sarah. The service of Sarah was, what did she do? How did she serve God? She would always serve God in anything that she was able to differentiate and separate good and bad. Whenever she would see good or bad, she was able to say, okay, this is good. And this is bad. This bad, I can elevate with the good. This bad, I can't. It's so bad. For example, it came to the point, she looked at Hagar at, those, at that stage and Yishmael 
And she told her husband, I can't elevate this. It's out of my realm. I can't get along with them. It's, it's not my cup of tea. I can't do it. So therefore, Garash she chased, they chased away the, this concubine, this assistant, and the son. Because Sarah said, my job is only when it's in, it's in reach to elevate. But Avraham now was able to go after Sarah passed away. It says, Vayosef Avraham. There was an additional characteristic to Avraham now that he didn't have before. After Sarah passed away, he was able to bring back Hagar, who's now Keturah, through Teshuvah with Yishmael, meaning he, he was able to take what normally is like the sediment, the part that you have to throw away, you can't use it. He was now able to take that and transform that into good. New stage. To explain this a little bit more, the way to purify something, the Goyim of the world, the nations of the world, Sarah would go out, but Sarah was only able to go as far as what we call in Hasidic terminology, the Klippa of Noga. We called it the peel that has a light. Remember, we learned about this peel, that a peel of a fruit is not good, it's not bad, it's in the middle. Depends what you do with it. If you could have used the peel to grow the fruit, the peel's good. If you peel to take it off to eat the fruit, the peel's garbage. So the same peel has two elements to it. It can be garbage, it can be good. That's called the example of, of this kind of level of klipa. It has good and it has bad. If it had good and bad, Sarah was at the level capable to elevate the bad and mix it with the good to elevate it. But if it was complete bad, the kind of bad that there's no choice but to throw it out, to toss it out, meaning you can't see the good yet in it. The goodness is not, re- is not revealed yet. For that, she says, take it out of the house. I can't have it here. But now, when we're going to bring Yishmael and Hagar, it's not because I want to mix them in. It's in a way of an addition. In other words, it's not the normal thing. Avram had her here a power that he was able to make and what we call the first words by Yosef Avram. He was able to make Avram took an addition. What does it mean an addition? He had an addition, additional level. In addition to what Sarah had till now, he now, after Sarah passes away, he uses his capabilities that he got after his bris because now he's also involved with the whole world. He was now able to do an additional step. When you do an additional step, you could do crazy wild stuff. For example, as it says, through good teshuva, you could take your sins and make them into merits. (laughs) That's the most wildest thing. You take a sin and you make it into merits. And we learned this when we learned to Tanya. We learned the idea that the Rebbe says that sometimes doing sins makes you so far from God that you got so far, so now you realize, oops, I'm too far. That awakens you to get back to the right track. So it's the farness. It's the sin that pulls you back. That's what we call taking the sin, the Zedonos, and turning it over to good. Because what made you now go good? It was the bad. So that's called converting that back into good. You took the bad and you could. So now Abraham was able to do it. Now by understanding this idea 
that Abraham was able to take this additional step. That's why he calls it Vayosef Avram. And Avram took an additional thing. Now we can understand the three points that we asked before. When you say Vayosef Avram, it means that he was able to now do take the impossible, the sin itself, and transform it into good. To take Yishmael who went down to the bad paths. To take Hagar who went back to her father's idols. And he's able to turn that into something good. There's actually an interesting uh, verse that the Rebbe brings down here from the Tzemach Tzedek. Tzemach Tzedek was the third Chabad Rebbe. And he has an interpretation on a verse that says that that um, um, Yaakov, sorry, Yosef said, or sorry, Rachel said to Yosef that Yosef Hashem li ben Acher, that Hashem has given me another son. Yosef, Joseph, Yosef means in addition. That God gave me an additional son. So he says that, read the words a little bit slower and you'll realize a much more deeper level. It says, Ben Achar, means in Achar. Achar means like an outcast. This is like, like you're, you're an Achar. You're, you're like from the other side. You, you, don't, you don't belong here, you know? So he says, the deeper meaning is that we're supposed to take somebody that's so far away, the Achar, and turn him into a Ben, into a son. That's like a high level, where you're taking something that seems like the impossible, the impossible child, and turn him into a real child. That's a deeper meaning. So now, this idea of making an addition, the name Yosef Avram, Avram made an additional step, is really in two parts over here. First of all, it's an additional part for the whole world. Because the way our world works is, is that you can't transform a sin into good. A sin is a sin, and good is good. A mitzvah is a mitzvah, a sin is a sin, they're two separate things. The fact that he was able to make an additional thing, this addition is like this additional revolutionary idea that in this world where it's impossible on its own to turn negative into good, he was able to do that. The second point is that in Avram itself, there was an addition in Avram because the idea is to transform the impossible klipa what's known as the three impure klipas. Take those three impure klipas and transform that. The only way to do that is you have to tap in to a level of God that you're beyond the difference of good and bad. For example, it says in the Medr says that in the essence of God, God technically could say, I don't know which service of humans do I like better. Do I like better the actions of the Russia, the Rashaim, the sinners? Meaning, obviously, when after they sin, they repent and now they serve me? Or do I like better the tzaddik who never sins and always serves me? Which one do you like better? Ask yourself this question. Which, if you have two children and one is a sinner, but now every once in a while you know, he comes home and gives you a hug and he starts behaving good? Or the kid that's always the hundred? The, gets the hundred marks. Which one do you appreciate more? The one that always gets the hundreds or the one that gets fails and then comes back gets a hundred? You know, the, the roller coaster life. So it's like that when Hashem says that also. At that level of the essence of God, you could say which one is more enjoyable, right? So over here, you say that we're talking about a level of God where sins and mitzvahs 
you don't even see a difference over there. That's why you could transform a sin. Take for a second a little, let's use a, a, a worldly example to this, that you reach such a high level in the essence that it doesn't make a difference between good and bad. Let's say when you go up on a plane, okay? From the, from the view, when you're in the airport looking out the window, you see trucks that look good and cars that look good. Then you see trucks that look lapidated and cars that look to hakten gishmish, yeah? That, that's what you see. Now, when you go up on the plane, the higher you get, you don't see any more good or bad. It all looks the same to you. From that point of view, it all looks the same. So when you talk about our Father in Heaven, you talk about Hashem, when you get to the essence of Hashem, all the way deep into the essence, not just the way God is down around this world. Go much deeper, all the way, all the way, all the way high up. Over there, sin and good, you don't really see the difference. So in the essence of Hashem, you could transform, over there you could transform a sin into good, is no problem. And this is what it means Avram made an additional step. Through the service of Avram, he added a new level that could only come with the essence of God. And with this, he was able to transform Hagar and Yishma. Number two, we said, why do you compare her actions to Keturah, to the Keturahs, to the incense smell? So he says, I'll tell you why. <laughs> if you're familiar in the morning davening, you say every day in the, in the Karbanos over there, we say in the Siddur, you say that in the temple there was how many incense? Eleven. Why were there eleven? We all know that things of holiness is ten. How much is a minion? Ten. How many spheros are there? Ten. So why do we have eleven incense in the temple? So Chassidah says, because in negative energies, there's 11. In Kedusha, in holiness, it's 10. The number is 10. In negativity, they need to grab onto higher and deeper sources, so they, they go to it's 11. So the 11 incense in the temple was there to elevate the 11 impure crowns. That's what it's called in Kabbalah. So the 11 impure crowns gets elevated by the 11 incense that were used in the temple. By the way, he brings that in a footnote here as an example called elevating. One of the incense was actually called the mirror. M-Y-R-R-H. The mirror is a perfume that's extracted from the muscadir. And according to the Rambam, that muscadir is from the Tibetan deer. It's a non-kosher deer. We abstract from there the liquid to make this well-known perfume that has this mirror. It's a very good smelling thing. But look at that. We're taking it and using it in the temple from an impure animal. That's just an example to show us how the idea of the incense was to elevate the impure. So why are we comparing her actions and calling her Keturah incense? Because look what she did. She transformed her behavior of when she got kicked out of the house, she went back to her father's idols, but then she gave it all up to the point that she smells and she reached a level that she was able to transform any negativity to holiness. Now, the third point that we said, why do we learn this thing? This whole story that she repented, 
that Hagar repented and she's now called Keturah. We learn this only now at this part of the story in the Torah when Avram remarries her. What's going on over Why right here? Couldn't, there's nowhere else. Is there no other place to put the story that she repented? There must be something connected to this story. He says, you got it on the dot. Why? Because the whole, why did he remarry her? Avram wasn't just bored, so he married, her, he married this woman. You're not supposed to get married because you're bored. There's a reason to get married. You get married to procreate. To bring offsprings into this world. That's why. To bring something new into this world. That's why you get married. This is a serious thing. To bring, to procreate, meaning to bring some more depth into this world. As we're soon going to learn, by the way, an interesting kind of new birth to bring into this world. But at here, at the simple level, you bring, you fruitful and multiply. And that's when Avram has another six kids and ten grandchildren with, with Keturah, Hagar, now known as Keturah. Now we understand why she repented her because in repentance you have now a new addition to your life you're like a new person so now is the time to talk about to procreation because that's new the idea of repentance is like new so now we understand well this whole piece of story where Avram remarries her and it's not just uh, Rashi was bored to say that Keturah means Hagar. He says, you have to say this, otherwise you won't be able to sleep by night. How could you figure out what happened to Hagar? She was uh, lived with Avram. She had a son with Avram. Yishmael, what happened to her? Did she never repent? What's going on? Where'd she go? So you must say that this is the same person. Now the Rebbe says, after understanding all of this, you're going to be able to understand a very interesting but Compli- not complicated, but he says it's a wondrous story in the Talmud. Wondrous meaning a, a like like shocking. Like what happened? This whole story in the Talmud doesn't make sense from head to toe, but because it's connected to the, this verse that Abraham took an additional wife, Keturah, the Rebbe says, let's use this opportunity now to explain that piece of Talmud. Because if you would ever learn that piece of Talmud, you probably, I'm, I'm saying, you probably wouldn't be able to sleep by night. So the Rebbe obviously took, took the time then to explain this Talmud. And what is the story is like this. It's from a tractate in Zvachim in the Talmud. And the story there says like this. There was a famous sage named Rabbi Tarfon. Very well-known sage mentioned many all over in the Talmud. Rabbi Tarfon was once sitting together with his sister's sons. In other words, his nephews. And they weren't saying a word. They were sitting there with Uncle Rabbi Tarfon. And they didn't say a word. They didn't utter a word. So Rabbi Tarfon wanted to get his nephews to talk a little bit. So he starts, this was his tactic. He says, Vayosef Avram, Avraham, took an addition and he took a wife named Yochani. He pulls out of a hat, a name. But if you were all sitting there at that, at that, when he did that to you, you would jump up and do exactly what these nephews did. He was just trying to pick out a name just to get their attention, to wait to get them to talk. So he says, he quotes a verse, Avram took an addition, a wife 
and her name was Yochani. So they said, Uncle, Ketura was her name. Ketura. You said Yochani, you must have been making a mistake, you know? So they said, uh, Ketura. He says, ah, oh, now I see. You are all a bunch of children of Ketura. That's the story. So what's the connection to the story? Just because he uses the verse from our thing. But the Rebbe says, I got four questions on this story. Number one, why does the Gemara tell us such a negative story about the nephews of Rabbi Tarfon? That he had to awaken them up in such a funny kind of strange way. We have a rule that even about impure animals, the Torah doesn't say something negative. The Torah uses eight extra letters when it speaks about impure animals, just not to say the word impure straight out. Like, why are you talking like this about the nephews? Why are you recording this in the Talmud? It's not such a positive story. Number two, there are many ways how to entice somebody to start to talk. You don't have to use a verse incorrectly to get their attention to start to talk to you. Why does he use a verse incorrectly to be able to get them to talk? Number three, in general, where do you have the rights to use a verse from the Torah just to get somebody to talk? I mean, you know, you're taking, you know, a license to take a holy words from the Torah just to get somebody to talk? Number four, when you are going to use a verse, why did he pick out of the box the name Yochani? Her name was Yochani. He could have said the verse a little different. He could have said, and he married Hagar. And they would have said, ah, Keturah. Right? We, we know it's the same person. So he could have just used the staff verse, but, you know, say it incorrectly just to get their attention. Now, it's possible that you, you know, you could maybe think that Hagar is not the same person. That we, we mentioned earlier almost 10 opinions that say that Hagar is a different person, actually. They don't, not every commentary says, like Rashi, that Keturah is Hagar. It makes total sense that Rashi's insight from the Medrash, as there are, there's more than 10 that say that, that it, Keturah is Hagar. But to say that it was, if he would have said Hagar, even if you're of the opinion that Hagar and Keturah is two different people, you still believe in the other person's opinion. In Torah, just because you argue one opinion over the other opinion, it doesn't mean that the other opinion is not an opinion. It just means it's not your opinion. You know that when Beis Hillel quotes their adversaries, Beis Shammai, they quote Shammai's opinion and then they say their opinion. It's very important in life, by the way. When you argue with somebody, just because your opinion is better, it doesn't mean the other person's opinion is no opinion. It's an opinion. It's just not your opinion. And by the way, you remember last week we learned the Sicha, where the Rebbe points the idea that you could say, you have to say, a blessing on the Torah, even to learn the opinion that's not the final concluding opinion. That means it's also piece of Torah. So he could have said hunger. Just to arouse their interest to start to talk. So the Rebbe says that to understand this, you have to understand a little bit 
what it means, the statement that whoever learns Torah with your friend's child, the Torah considers that, that child to be your child. It's as if it's your child. Imagine that. A person that never merited to have biological children, if you learn Torah with somebody else's kid, that child is considered your child too. As if it's your child. Now when it says anybody that teaches somebody, your friend's child, it's as if it's your child. So the Rebbe brings here a little nuance on the word when it says as if it's your child. Is it your child? Or is it just as if it's your child? How do you understand that? If you learn with somebody Torah, that, that person become is he your child or is he like your child? So the Rebbe says it depends. If you teach a person that never knew anything, you took them from zero and you made them into this Torah learned person, that person is your child. If you take somebody and you, that's already learning Torah, but you just enhance their Torah reading, they're also, but they're not, you, they are your child, they're like your child. In other words, when there's a chiddush, when there's a novelty here, you took somebody that knew nothing and you made him now into something, now all of a sudden it's a new entity, this person, it's now a Torah person. So that is your child. And he brings us from a verse in the Torah that says that, it says that uh, in Chumash Bamidvar, it says that when Aaron, the Torah lists off Aaron's children. So it says, God's, God, these, these are the children of Moses and Aaron. And it lists off only Aaron's children. So Rashi says, whoa, 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 whoa. Why did you say these are the children of Moses and Aaron and you only list out Aaron's kids? Why didn't you say Moses' kids? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. So we, here we learn that since Moses taught Aaron's kids Torah, they're like his own kids. In the same ver- verse, it says, on the day that day when Moshe spoke. Over there, Rashi says, it says Moshe doesn't say Aaron. Over there, Moshe became their exclusive teacher from the beginning. So they actually became like, not like, but they became his kids. So that's why when it says, and he spoke to Moshe and Aaron, and these are the, these are the offsprings of Moshe and Aaron. Then, so Rashi uses both quotes as if, and it is actually his children, because it depends at what stage. If it's the beginning of learning with them, they were actually Moshe's kids. If it was later, just enhancing their level, then it's as if. Now, by understanding this idea of how somebody could become your child by learning with them, now we understand what happened here with Rabbi Tarfon's story. Rabbi Tarfon saw in his sister's kids, that they were not capable of learning Torah. By the way, I find this to be fascinating because he's saying they're not capable to learn Torah. Imagine this. Non-capable people of learning Torah were still able to know a verse in the Torah that it's not Yochani, it's really Keturah. So that's pretty impressive for the level of people those days, right? They were not capable of learning Torah. But Tarfon comes to inspire them and make them into his his children like to inspire them in, in their learning to that level. These are people that did know verses, right? But I guess not enough depth. Or at least not enough to feel comfortable to converse with their uncle. 
So since he had a connection to them, they were his nephews. He wanted to arouse in them a level of understanding Torah that they should become like, not just like, but they should become his kids. And for this, he brought them something that has a similar idea of making a new novelty into this world. I'm going to help you become a new people that you're now going to become such scholars. You're going to be like, you're going to be my children. And this he gets from the verse where Avram made an addition. Because what's the whole idea of addition, as we said? Addition means to procreate, to make a child. Ah, Reb Tarfin says, here's my opportunity. I can make you guys my children. I can have offspring, spiritual offsprings. That's why it says, Posach Omar. He opened up and said to accomplish this idea that they should be his children. Now, why did he use the name Yochani? This is a brilliance. The Rebbe says, you want to know something about Yochani? Let's dig a drop into the name Yochani. It's hard to fall asleep now because he says, look, the name Yochani in another tractate of the Talmud. The story I told you now was in the tractate of Zvachim, but hundreds of pages away in a different tractate in Sota, over there on page 22, it says there a story about somebody, Yochani. It says there that there was a widow who was extremely social, meaning a negativity. She was too social. A woman has to know their place for modesty. For modesty. Imagine a woman standing outside, every man that walks by, hey, good morning, what's the time? What time's breakfast? You're going for a coffee? What time are you going to work? What time do you come home? You know, it's a little too much. So this lady, who was this extra social woman, Says the Talmud, she was from those people that destroyed the world. Very complicated person. Who's an example of the woman who was that extra social who's from the people that destroy this world? For example, Yochani, the daughter of Retivi. Rashi says, you're probably going to be curious who was this person. Let me tell you the background to this lady named Yochani. Says Rashi like this. She was a magician of sorcery. She knew how to do all kinds of sorcery. Whenever she would see a woman getting ready to giving birth, she would go into her house and she would do magic in order to interrupt the womb of this woman and the woman wouldn't be able to give birth. And a woman who's trying to give birth and segenished, you start screaming to the moon. It's very painful. As soon as the screaming would be so loud, she would say, oh, let me pray to God for this life for you. And she would start to pray and pray. And while she prayed, she would ask for mercy. And then she would secretly go into her closed room of her house and she would open up her water vessels that she mixed in all her sorcery stuff. And she would allow, undo the sorcery. And now she would come outside and her prayers worked and the person would have a baby. So she would deceive everybody as if she's some righteous person. In meantime, she was a destroyer of the world. She was doing all her magic, which a Jew is not allowed to do. 
She wanted to make that everybody should think that she was the she made a miracle. In other words, that not that that a miracle happened with her power of prayer. And what's interesting is that's the story about this Yochani, who he quotes as the the name. And the Rebbe says Yochani actually is connected with miracle, by the way. Not just that it's a play on a word. Everything's deep here. The fact that she was the magician that did all her sorcery shtick to get everybody to think that it was her prayers and her prayers worked to make a miracle. Well, now you're able to have a baby. You should know the name Yochani actually represents miracles in a real sense. The Gemara in another place in the Talmud. In Tractate Brachas, over there it says, if you see Huna. In a dream, a miracle is going to happen to you. Why? Because Huna, the name Huna has a Nun in it. And Nun is the first letter of the word Nes, miracle. So if you see Huna or the name Huna or a person Huna in your dream, you should know a miracle is going to happen to you. If you see Yochanan in your dream, double miracles are going to happen to you. You know why? Because there's two Nuns in Yochanan. There's a whole section there about dreams. So it tells you different clues about different things that you think about in your dreams. So he says, so Yochani clearly is a connected to the idea of miracles and having children. It's exactly that of having this miracle in children. As we see, there's a verse in the Torah where Jacob tells Joseph, he says, these are my children. When he comes back to meet Joseph in Egypt, he says, these children are the Yeladim Asher Hanan. Hanan is the same root name of Yochani. Asher Hanan Elohim These are the children that God graced upon his servant. So you see the word Yochani is connected with the word Hanan, which means that connected with the idea of children. So now we can understand why Rabbi Tarfun said that in addition, Abraham took an addition and he took a wife and her name was Yochani. It's true he was trying to arouse them. But at the same time, there was depth into his choice of a name. He, there was depth was, he wanted to, he said the name Yochani because he wanted to awaken in them the idea of child, meaning I want to make you my child. I want to be able to teach you Torah in an unnatural super way, let me open you up to start a dialogue where we can talk Torah. I don't want to just have uh, breakfast with you or, or just have a sitting with you and we don't say a word. When Jews come together, let's talk some Torah. Let's become acquainted in the depth and the wisdom of the Torah, meaning that if I could teach you, you'll actually be an offspring of my knowledge, of the Torah's knowledge. So I'll be able to make you like into a child with this with this meaning. Now this is also the head, the continuation of the story that it says there that after he they said uncle it says Keturah, not Yochani and he said back to them ah you're Bnei Keturah you're the children of Keturah that sounds a little bit like you know is that an insult? Ah, but Hasidus always looks at things with the right side. Chassidah says, when he called them Keturah, the children of Keturah, Tarfin responds back, you're the ch- if you're saying that it's Keturah, you're the, you are now the children of Keturah. Who was Keturah? What did we say? Keturah is the woman who tied her openings 
the opposite of Yochani, which represents children. They tied themselves clothes. And then you're not going to be able to have an offspring of children. In other words, if you close yourself up, and you're, you, I'm calling you now the children because you're not letting us talk. If you're going to stay in a way that you don't talk, you're going to have, as we say in Yiddish, a fashtopte cup. You're going to have a stuffed head, a stuffed brain. You're going to be, your brain will be clogged. You won't be able to learn Torah. So don't stay the opposite of Yochanan. Don't be like this children of Keturah, meaning the, the offspring of an idea of closed up. Let yourself open up, be the true idea of what this Hagar now Keturah is, which is the idea to have offsprings, have the meaning of learning Torah, become an offspring of me, Rebbe Tarfon, but an offspring of Torah. Let that, let that flow, let that open up. And with this, we could explain now, based on this whole idea of a Yosef Avram, that this idea, as we explained till now, that Avram took an addition, as we explained it in the, let's explain it according to the wine of the Torah, which means even the deeper parts of the Rashi. Since Avram had to make a new addition, that's what he did. He took an addition, means he needed to make a new idea of birth, meaning he had to convert Turn over even the three impure levels of impurity that we spoke about that normally you could never elevate. First, he had to do Vayosef. He needed to make an addition, meaning he needed to have a new level in himself. Avram himself had to elevate to a high level. As we said earlier, he had to touch into the essence of God. So now, Rebbe Tarfun brings this verse by Yosef Avram, uh, that Avram took an addition. Because the truth is, when, when, when Rebbe Tarfun wanted to awaken his nephews, he could have only said the part of the verse, and he married Keturah. They would have right away said, no, not Keturah. There's no other verse in the Torah that says, and he married those words. So he didn't have to say the first words, and he made an addition. So the fact that he said that is to tell you that he made an addition in himself. In order to teach somebody to the point that your friend's son should become your son, in this case, in the story of Rabtarfan, to make his, his sister's kids, that they should have a new level of understanding of learning, he, had to, he was forced to add in his own level, just like Avram did, he had to do that too. And for this, he brought a proof from the verse, similar verse, where Avram made this addition and then he took a wife. First, you make an addition, you work on yourself and you get to that level, that the level of Avram is that he brought, now he was able to take a wife, which the purpose of a wife is to procreate an idea of new into the world. One more addition to this idea, he says about the children of Keturah. There's a Rambam, where the Rambam speaks about the laws of bris. I mean, not, not in that section of laws, but in the laws about, in the section of kingdom. Anyway, he speaks about Avram and his children. So over there, he says that all the sons that Avram had with Keturah were obligated to go through circumcision. They had to have circumcision too. That means... 
by Avram taking an addition and taking this wife whose name is Keturah, which is a whole new idea. That means he tapped into idea that's out of the norm. He now accomplished that even the Bnei Keturah, the children of Keturah, are obligated to a circumcision. What circumcision? Uh, there's an acronym for the word Mila, which means circumcision. It's, it's the acronym of a verse that says, Mi Yale Lanu Hashemaima. With what will you be able to elevate up to heaven? That, and the last, four, last letter of each one of those words, Mi Yale Lanu Hashemaima, spells out the letters Yud Hey and Vav Hey of God's name. What is this? What's the steps of this to help us here? Because he tapped in through circumcision, you tap into a place of God's name, which is higher than the normal way of running things. And that was the whole point here. Avram tapped into a way, a level of going to, to such a high place that he was able to bring back Hagar and Yishmael through repentance and they smelled so good. Everything was perfect there. And that's why he calls them with the name Keturah. That's why Reb Tarfan calls them. He calls them your B'nai Keturah. Why? Because he wanted to draw into them. Calling somebody means you're drawing them over. That's why you call a name. You say, hey, Yankel, Sarah. It's a way of affection to get the person's attention. You try to draw them near. Because here, I want to draw you near to bring an offspring. What's the offspring? The learning of Torah. But not just a regular way of learning Torah, but a way that's higher than the norm. And this is the same way the way Avram did it with those Keturah he did it here, Rib Tarfin here. So in summation, what's the whole point of Avram's taking Keturah? Taking, as Rashi says, Keturah is the hugger. It's a retransformation of hugger at a much higher level. Even though when she was kicked out of the house, she went to idol worship. Nevertheless, because she closed herself up, she never went to another man, meaning she stayed pure. Avram now was able, after Sarah's death, he was able to pull her in and bring her to this high level through this tshuva and elevate them to the point that he comes his wife. What kind of wife? Okay, a plegish, but because but, not to confuse his ultimate full, you know, full inheritance, but the message is there for all of us that our job is to teach Torah for all of us. Our job is to teach, teach somebody and that person could become like your child or actually your child itself. So with this, we conclude this fascinating, beautiful Sicha here.